0: Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young.
1: The word anxiety comes from a German word, which means to choke. And that's how we feel, isn't it? When we are anxious, when we're uptight, when the pressure is on, when we're worried, stressed out, over the top, we're we're overcommitted, we're overdone, we're overinvolved, we've overly said yes, and we feel choked the pressure of it all.
0: The truth is Christ wants to draw you in during painful times. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today Dr. Young begins his message, The Cause and Cure of Anxiety, where he explains why the Lord allows you to sometimes experience anxiety. Stay with us and hear more from Dr. Young on The Winning Walk. Welcome back to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young, and it's a pleasure to have Dr. Young in the studio today to answer a question as we begin this new series. Dr. Young, we all know that life presents different challenges, and yet the Bible tells us not to worry. How can we effectively deal with stress and anxiety in our daily walk?
1: Some stress and probably some anxiety is good. I think we get in trouble when we just over stress and we have too much anxiety. We let we let stress begin is the beginning of it and we're continually stressed. And then we get anxious about that which is stressing us out. And it's sort of an unending thing. So we have to sort of compartmentalize it and say, Lord, you know, let's see the long picture here. And God helps you and me see the long picture of what is stressing us out. And when we do that, we invite him into the stress, invite him into the anxiety, and many times just by doing that, saying, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life with strength and power and insight, and give me your peace in the middle of this storm. Many times simply praying that prayer and waiting on him alleviates a lot of the pressure that we find surrounding us.
0: And Dr. Young, stress is also a reminder that we need to look to God, that we
1: can't do it on our own, right? Oh, absolutely. If you try to carry it around, all the burdens of the world, all the burdens of life, you'll burn out and burn up. And so we're looking for the peace with God. That's when we come to Christ. And then he gives us the peace of God. And that's what we that's where we seek to live. That's where we need to learn how to live. Lord, I've made peace with you, and now give me your peace. And that's the business of the Prince of Peace, the Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. He will give you peace in the middle of any storm.
0: Thanks, Dr. Young. It's a great way to start us off today. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, The Cause and Cure of Anxiety.
1: I hold in my hand a copy of Self magazine. Someone bought it from the newsstand for me. Uh, it's got Carrie Underwood on the front, her 600 calorie workout. On the back it got got Ellen DeGeneres, so it's got every base covered. <laughs> uh, <laughs> article here: A new plan for real women drop 10 pounds. The best foods to fight. Uh, fat and Rev Up Your Metabolism, article here. Another article, Great Hair, uh, Color Curl, Strengthen at Home, 100% Goof Proof. Uh, another one, Flatten Your Belly, Zero Crunches, All Fun. Read that one. Hotter Carefree Sex, The Secret, page 144. Cellulite cures at work. Upper hmm. right hand corner, 1,951 freebies inside. I don't know what freebies it would be. 50 cheap splurges, amazing beauty buys, $10 or less. But the one that really drew thee drew to this magazine was the article here that deals with exactly our topic today. The title is Stressed Out? Quick tips to feel calm and happy now. So maybe we can get some answers here in (laughs) self. The the article here written by this lady is entitled, Feel as Happy as a Pig in Mud. It's got a pig here. (laughs) And she talks about how we are to channel good positive feelings And that'll take care of your worry, your stress, your anxiety. And then, flip over, she gives four uh, things that we can do that'll absolutely take care of these problems. Four ultra-easy ways to bring on serenity. Uh, smile, it's good. Sing, I advocate that. Sweat, workout. And soothe, somebody said they thought I said "sue," but soothe. (laughs) Think of soothing things. And then it says, hang with upbeat people. So we can go home now. We know how to handle stress and anxiety (laughs) in four easy steps. And we hang out with upbeat, fun people and worry and anxiety and stress goes away. Now, let me tell you, those suggestions are bad, but it's like putting a Band-Aid on something, because we do not have answers here to worry and anxiety. The word anxiety comes from a German word, which means to choke, and that's how we feel, isn't it? When we are anxious, when we're uptight, when the pressure is on, when we're worried, stressed out over the top we're, we're over committed we're over uh, invested we are over the overdone we're over involved we've overly said yes and we feel choked, strangled the pressure of it all and a lot of leading individuals, sociologists and Those in the medical profession tells us perhaps the number one problem that is the undercurrent of all the maladies in the Western world is stress, is worry, is anxiety. Where does it come from? It has some deep, deep roots. One root is psychology. We know that about neuroses. Some people live their whole life as if there's a big, Bengal tiger over them, just ready to to pounce, and you go through life like that, or you go through life as if you're constantly swimming in shark-infested waters with hundreds of great whites all around you, and you're always looking for fins. You live like that? all kind of neuroses that we have, ailments that we have, psychological background to this. Very common in our society today. Also, there are physical reasons for stress. Uh, Something happens to us, and we we, we just don't get over it. Or something we thought would happen to us didn't happen, and we still don't get over it. And so we feel the pressure of it all, the stress of it all, is on top of us. It weights us down. Also, there's a philosophical background to stress. The, the idea that some of us believe that life is fatalistic. Some of us actually say, you know, well, whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. You can't do anything about it. What's gonna be, will be. Say sirrah, We live a whole life on a philosophical understanding of fatalism. Others live a life on a capricious understanding. A uh, Heidegger, the existentialist said that God just took us and whew, threw us in the world and said, lots of luck. We don't know what's going to happen next. There's no rhyme or reason to life. So all of this brings stress and tension and anxiety and worry and frustration and confusions and, and, and berattles be us all the time. There's also a theological background to stress. Go to the Garden of Eden. There you have Adam and Eve, and God said to them, you're to run this thing. You're to have dominion. You're to name all the animals. You're to be fruitful and to multiply. You're in charge, but God is in charge. God is the King. And we were born as human beings to be stewards in the kingdom of God. Now, a steward is a slave as he looks to his king, but to everyone else, the steward is a king. So you and I were born to be kings and queens. We're born to have control of this world. Almost all of the world. What did God say to Adam? He said, Adam, you've got this whole shooting match except one tree. I'm going to keep one tree. It's my tree. Adam says, oh, in his heart of hearts, I want to control everything. I even want to control the tree that God says is the only tree he needs in this creation. And therefore, as we tried to control more, we lost control. As we tried to be more than human, we became less than human. So the basic cause of much of the stress we have is that we're out of control. We have to de-control to God, and we want to run our lives. We're, We're made to be gods. We're made to be kings and queens under the stewardship, as stewards under God Himself. So stress comes when I can't handle everything. I can't run everything. I can't be on top of everything. But Jesus comes and says, stress is a sin. In fact, He says, don't be stressed out. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Now, how does that work? Well, it's not that easy, is it? Huh? We don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm gonna be stressed out today. I think I'm gonna be worried today. No, it it just comes over us. It, it fills us up everywhere. It's like a fog. You can take a fog that's a hundred feet deep, that covers seven city blocks. You know how much water is in a fog that's a hundred or two hundred feet deep? Covered seven city blocks, you know how much water is there? Less than a glass of water. It don't take much, does it? Doesn't take very much. Just a little bit for us to be totally undone, stressed out, empty, lost, confused, anxious, upset, on edge. This is who we are. Jesus says, no, you are in the best place in this world that you can be as my son and as my daughter. Do you know that? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Doesn't that sound terrific? That's how it's supposed to be, but you see, we're so caught up in this world that we forget that we're citizens of another world if we're in the family of God. If we keep that in mind, you'll be amazed how all the stress and strife and tension will go away. We're not at home here, but we're so caught up in this world It has us so much under its control, and it's strangling many lives out of effectiveness, out of efficiency, and out of the joy that the Lord God intends for His sons and daughters to have. Look at our Scripture. Just a couple of verses here as we look at this whole passage that deals with anxiety and worry. Verse 25, Matthew 6. For this reason, Jesus says, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Is that clear enough? Do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you will drink or your body as to what you will put on. Do you know how much last year we spent in the United States just on fashion? Between two and three hundred billion dollars. Think about that. How much we've spent on, on, on diet remedies. How to lose weight. Over 30 billion dollars. Jesus says, don't worry about your body. He gives a big trinity of what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? He said, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they?" Let's prepare for some Biblical answers to worry. Father, we look at the world's answers to anxiety, to tension, to strife, to worry, to all that seems to choke life out of us, and we know they're so shallow, so temporary, so transient. Today, Lord, we look to you, every single one of us, for biblical answers that we may put into practice. Lord, become the surgeon who gets to the bottom of the pressures that are killing us, day by day, degree by degree. Speak, O Lord, let me get out of the way, is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says, don't worry about the things of life. Isn't that what we worry about, things? Sure it is. Clothes, oh, how do I look? What I eat, where I go, what I have, what people think about me, and we are caught up in the agenda of this materialistic society in which you and I are called to live. Jesus said, that's the reason we worry. Don't worry about things. And he said, look at the birds. You think the birds are worried about things and stuff? And he used the birds to illustrate his providence, the providence of God. What is providence? You say, well, it's the capital of Rhode Island. That's good. What is providence? The word providence means to provide. And Jesus is saying here, look at the birds. Can't you see him teaching on the mounts, seated on that rock? And some birds fly over and he says, look at those birds. He said, they're not worried because they're counting on the providence of God, that God prepares for them. God cares about them. And therefore, we realize that we're in His hands. He said, you're much more than birds. Anyone here think you're less than a bird? Our world is so mixed up that we have-we treat animals like humans and humans like animals. But I can tell you, we are better than birds. We're above birds, and Jesus gives a Wonderful argument here, from the lesser to the greater. He said, if God prepares and looks after the birds, by the way, I'll confess to you, in the summer, I'm a bird watcher. Man, I watch birds. I don't look at it from a scientific viewpoint, just as a thing of recreation. And I'm fired by the cap on watching cardinals, Joe Beth will tell you. You know, I've trained about four or five generations of cardinals to come eat out of my hand and eat bread. Yeah, they, they just teach their young, it's an amazing thing. I go to the same place every time every year for almost 30 years. And I, I love cardinals. The, the male cardinal is, is the red one. Real bright red, beautiful bird. Female cardinal is kind of bedraggled. It, it's the opposite of humans. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that, that male cardinal is well-trained by his wife, and they have one wife. I mean, that male cardinal gets food for the wife, and chews the food, and takes it, and puts it in the beak, and feeds the wife. When the little ones are born, the male cardinal goes and gets all the food, and the wife is chirping, making sure the female cardinal, with all the beauty and splendor, does exactly what is required, and God looks at the birds, and Jesus confirms and said, look at those birds. Now, they have to work for food every single day, but they're not concerned. They're not worried. They're not uptight. Why? They were created by God. How much more you and I are in the hand of God. Therefore, he has a will and a plan for a purpose for you and me that he's going to carry out to his children. Let's talk a minute about the will of God, the plan of God for every life. God has an intentional plan for every person here. Now, most of us has missed God's intentional plan. Because of sin, because of not listening, because of doing our own thing, because of not understanding, He wants to seek us, and He wants to deal with us, and He wants to guide us. We miss God's intentional will. Therefore, in His circumstantial will, He always works out His providence, in His purpose, in His sovereignty. His intentional will, we miss it. And His circumstantial will, we begin to get it, because His ultimate will will be carried out. See, that's the providence of God, not that we are robots, but He puts us in the parameters of His blessing, of His leadership, as sons and daughters of His. Therefore, He says, don't worry. You're in the providential hand of God. How can we worry? He takes care of birds. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me. Look at the next thing he says. He says, also, why do we worry? He says, and who of you, verse 27, by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. What's he saying? He's saying, now, don't worry. Look at the birds, they teach you about the providence, about the care of God for birds and of you. Now he says, don't worry, look at the lilies of the field, look at the flowers. He said, they, they don't live very long, but they are loved by God. If God so cares for flowers and they have a short duration of life, how much more he cares for you and me. He points the lilies and he talks about the love of God. We don't worry because God loves us. How much does He love us? He sent His Son to die for us. How long do we live? Forever! When life came at conception in your mother's womb, God gave to every one of us eternal life. Doesn't mean we're all sons and daughters of God, but He gave us eternal life because every person, every soul, every spark, created the image of God, and that image of God will always be alive. What's he say? Flowers don't last very long, do they? You know, they they come, and they go, and they use, and they're spent. Some flowers bloom only one day, and that's the only day they bloom. But he says, God loves the flowers and takes care of the flowers, gives the beauty of the flowers are more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor could ever build or imagine. He said, that's how much God loves you. If He loves the flowers, makes them so beautiful, just for a brief period of time, how much more He loves you as a human being because He brought you and me into life to live forever. You see the logic that's there? The birds, the providence of God, you don't have to worry. Uh, The lilies, the love of God, you don't have to worry. And then He says, well, who does worry? And he has a little phrase here. You tend to miss it. I jumped over it for a while. Look what he says in in the last verse here of this passage. He says, last last part of verse 30, he says, you of little faith. He talks about people who have a little faith. If you worry, little faith people worry. Do you have any worries, any anxiety, anything you're upset about, anything that Uh, You're uptight about anything that's causing stress in your life? He said if so you are a little faith person Now Jesus used the phrase little faith four times three times in Matthew once in Luke What does he mean by a little faith person? Does it mean you have no faith? You have a little faith a little faith person is someone who has Recognize the Holy Spirit is leading them and touching their lives, and they confess their sin. They turn from that sin. They invite Jesus Christ in their life. They become a Christian. That's a little faith person. A little faith person is someone who is simply a Christian who knows that they have been saved. That's a little faith person. Now, what's wrong with just knowing you've been saved? That's just half of the equation. I am saved, but he says, I'm saved by faith. By the way, what is faith? A little faith person is someone who thinks faith does not involve thinking. Are you like that? Well, I don't understand this, I don't know it, and I, I can't logically believe it, but I'm going to accept it by faith. I'm going to make just a leap of faith, boom, into the darkness. You think that's what faith is? A lot of people do. Faith is, man, I'm ignorant. (laughs) I don't get it. It's beyond my realm, but I'm just going to accept it almost reluctantly by faith. You think faith is a blind leap? It absolutely is the very opposite of that. Faith involves thinking. The foundation of faith is thinking. We're gonna celebrate Easter next Sunday. You say, well, I'm just gonna by faith believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, it doesn't have any logic to me. Oh no, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is based on solid forensic evidence rooted and ground in history, witnessed to by thousands of people. That's not faith, that is evidence. Hebrews 11 gives us the classic definition of faith. Faith is the what? Is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Substance sounds like you gotta look at something, doesn't it? Evidence sounds like rational thinking. All of this Scripture is involved around thinking as it seeks to introduce us to faith. Look, look at verse 25. It says, for this reason. Look at verse uh, 28. It says, observe. Look at verse 26. It says, look. In other words, faith involves thinking. It's based on evidence, on rational logic. It's based on 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. It is prescribed. So what is he saying? Little faith people just don't think. Are you a little faith person that, oh, I'm just saved, uh, and that's all I am. I'm just saved. You don't think. Think about something. What if there were a person who had infinite wisdom, follow me careful, infinite wisdom, and this person knew everything about you when you were born. He, kn- This person knows everything about your life up to this point. This person even knows when you're going to die. Now, would that person with, follow me, infinite wisdom be able to give you good advice? <laughs> would he be able to comment on your life and on my life? You see, when we think this is who God in Jesus Christ is, And what's the rest of this verse over here? He says, we worry about all of these things because we forget that we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need before we ask. No one, Paul says in Romans, can pray Abba Father unless they're in the family of God, unless they're Christian. By the way, this is for Christians. And those who worry, and they are Christians, It means they are little faith people, but you're living your life as an unbeliever. You got it? You're living your life as if you have no Heavenly Father. Therefore, if you have worry, and strife, and tension, and pressure on your life that just, eating you up inside and outside, makes you on edge, makes you just have a temper, makes you angry, makes you want to control everything, makes you upset at everything. It means that you are living your life. You may be a Christian, you have a little faith Christian, but you're not a big faith Christian. Now, what is the difference in that? Here's a little faith Christian. They believe that Jesus is God's son. They receive him in their life. They believe on Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus. They believe in God, but they don't believe God. And therefore, you are a little faith worrier, even though you might be a Christian, because you're living as an unbeliever. How does this work practically? Here's a couple, they're going to get married. He's a Christian, she is not a Christian. Personal counseling with him. And you nail down the fact, are you a Christian? Have you received Christ? Absolutely. I believe in Jesus. I've received Him as my Savior. I am a Christian. All right, you believe in Jesus. You believe on Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? There's a question. I believe on Jesus. I'm a Christian, little faith. But you, do you believe Jesus? And I say to this man, Jesus says, you're not to marry this woman because this woman, this gal, is not a Christian. Oh, you believe on Jesus, you believe in Jesus, but do you believe Jesus? You believe in God, you believe on God, but do you believe God? And a lot of people believe on and believe in, and they have little faith people, but they're not big faith people because they don't believe God and don't believe Jesus, see? If Jesus is the Son of God, ladies and gentlemen, what He teaches us is the genius and the formula for life that's worry-free. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have concern. It doesn't mean we don't have problems. It doesn't mean we don't pray about things, but it means that we are above the affairs of this life, that our citizenship is not of this world. Therefore, we think differently, we see differently, and we operate differently, and worry doesn't beat us up and tear us down and cripple us through life. We are not only little faith people, we become big faith people. How do you become big faith people? The book clearly tells us. Jesus says the rest of the passage. He says, but seek ye first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that we're worried about will be added to us. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. Are you a if only person? Oh, if only. This accident hadn't happened. If only I hadn't been involved in that relationship. If only I had married someone else. If only we had not moved there. If only, if only, if only. You're worried about yesterday. Your whole life is an if only life. You're living on the basis of tragedy or joy or success or sorrow. An if only life is living in yesterday and you'll be filled with anxiety. Are you living a what-if life? Oh, what, what if, what if this happens? Oh, what if this doesn't? What if my son, what if my daughter, what if my friends, what, what if, what if, what if, and you're trying to live in tomorrow? <laughs> you can't do anything about tomorrow. If only people live yesterday. What if people live on the basis of the worries and the fears of tomorrow? Jesus says, hey, get your priorities right. Put the Kingdom of God first and His righteousness and righteous living and all these other things, what will I eat? What will I wear? What will I have? What will I afford? What will I go? What will I do? All these things will be added according to our ability to have responsibility for that what He entrusts us with. You see, so we're not to worry. We're not to be worriers. What I'm saying, what Jesus is saying, you know what all this is? It's common sense, is it not? Is anything here irrational way over the top? It's common sense. If we're in the hands of Almighty God, He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, all loving. If we're in the providential care of God, And if God loves us, with a love that will never let us go in the sense he gave the best he had in heaven for us. I mean, listen, it is totally irrational. We're not thinking when we worry. When we're just little faith people, oh, I'm saved. Oh, I believe on Jesus, but when we don't believe Jesus, as he teaches us the genius of life when he knows the front from the back and the middle, You see, God is before us, God is after us, God is our right hand, God is our left hand, God is above us, God is below us, and God in Christ is in us. Do you have any problems? How can anybody who has any common sense have any problems? Have any fear of death, any worry about the length of life, any worry about the things of life? Common sense says, worry is eliminated. Common sense. By the way, let me tell you something about common sense. Uh, this was in the London Times a few weeks back. It's an obituary. It seems that common sense died. (laughs) And this is the obituary in the London Times. Today we mourn the passing of a beloved old friend, common sense. He has been with us for many years. No one knows for sure how old he was since his birth records were long ago lost in bureaucratic red tape. <laughs> He'll be remembered as having cultivated such valuable lessons as knowing when to come in out of the rain <laughs> while the early bird gets the worm, and life isn't always fair, and maybe it was my fault. Common sense lived by simple and sound financial policies, don't spend more than you earn, and reliable strategies, adults, not children, are in charge. Common sense health began to deteriorate rapidly when well-intentioned but overbearing regulations were set in place. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. Man, I would be put in jail when I was six. (laughs) Teens suspended from school for using mouthwash after lunch. A teacher fined for reprimanding an unruly student only worsened his condition. Common sense lost ground when parents attacked teachers for doing the job that they themselves had failed to do and disciplined their unruly children. Common sense declined even further when schools were required to get parental consent to administer sun lotion and an aspirin to a student, but could not inform parents when a student became pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. Common sense lost the will to live as the churches became businesses, and criminals received better treatment than their victims. Common sense took a beating when you couldn't defend yourself from a burglar in your own home, and the burglar could sue you for assault. Common sense was preceded in death by his parents, truth and trust, and by his wife, discretion, and by his daughter, responsibility, and by his son, reason. They died before common sense. He is survived by four stepbrothers, I know my rights. I want it now. Everyone else is to blame, and I'm a victim. <laughs> not many attended the funeral of common sense because so few recognized he was gone. If you remember him, pass this on. If not, join the majority and do nothing. <laughs> Would anybody like common sense? <laughs> anybody like common sense? Would you want it? Do you want it? right. Right, it belongs to you. Common sense. Jesus is just giving us common sense, is He not? Common sense says that Christians should not worry. If you're a little faith Christian, you're living like an unbeliever, oh yeah, you need to worry. But if you're a big faith Christian, you not only believe on Jesus, you simply believe Jesus. We bring it down to a low, low level, we'll all get it. There's this dog that was horribly treated, kicked, abused, not fed properly, matted hair, burned with cigarettes by those who cared for the dog as a humorous thing, pitiful in condition. The dog would be in a little cage just shaking, trembling, all the time. The dog refused to eat any food or drink anything. When the light was on, he, he would eat and drink only at night out of fear. Horribly abused. Tail always between his legs. He'd wet, him, wet himself when someone would come in the room. And then there came this man who rescued him. Kind of a dog whisperer, you follow me? And this man took that little dog and Went to the cage, and while he was shaking, began to talk with him, soothing words, comforting words. The dog would have none of it. He finally got a leash on him and pulled him out, and the dog snapped and growled and barked and snarled at him until the man got out on all fours. The little dog was totally frightened, and he began to talk soothingly to him, tried to offer him treats he wouldn't take. Finally, he got the little dog in a corner. The little dog was so fearful, so frightened, the dog literally just fainted, passed out. And the man went over there to him, began to pet him while he was unconscious and soothe him. And when he came to, the little dog just rolled over on his back, total submission. And the man got close to him. The dog would smell him, and he would pet him and love him and say words to him, fed him a little treat. The dog stopped shaking just for a moment, the first time ever. Move ahead. Now you have the cutest little dog you've ever seen. I mean, he's well-groomed, he's well-cared for, he is happy, and he stays with that master 24-7. You see, the dog found a savior and discovered that he could trust that Savior for everything in his life. Now, common sense tells us, if this is true of birds and lilies and flowers and dogs, how much more of our Heavenly Father who saves us whom we can trust in our obedience for everything in our lives. Sum it all up, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to have big faith, trust, and obey.
0: You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.